welcome to another episode of My Best 11 podcast. Tonight we are, or today, we are joined by an absolute Luton legend. He was voted one of the greatest players ever to don a Luton shirt um, and played for so many clubs and managed so many clubs. Arguably um, Luton's most decorated uh, manager as well by lifting the Johnson's Paint Trophy and officially lifted the League One title only two years ago as well. We are lucky to have on Mick Harford. How are you, Mick? I'm great, Andrew. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for the invitation to do this. It's, a, it's an honour and pleasure. And obviously, Marvin being involved, who I played with, it's, it's absolutely brilliant and uh, looking forward to it. Excellent. And we're looking forward to listening to yours. Marv, how are you over in America? How are things? Morning, and, morning Andrew. Um, just like waking up a little bit five minutes ago and it's good to see Mick's smiling face <laughs> on the screen as as I remember him from our playing age. And often I, when I go back, I catch up with Mick quite a bit now and then. So it's great to see him again. You good, Mick? Lovely. We'll probably get to some of those stories later. So we'll move straight into it. What would you say your formation is, Mick? Today is a, is a 4-3-3 formation. Uh, with two, two attacking wide men and a, a central striker. Uh, not really an orthodox striker who plays in there, but uh, the centre forward I've played with is a very, very talented, very talented player. Uh, 4-3-3, two, two attacking midfield players with a holding midfield player and a, and a back four and a goalkeeper. Uh, that's, that's, I mean, I, I, would have, I would have thought going back from when you was playing, Mick, it would have been a straight traditional 4-4-2, but he's gone for 4-3-3. Look at him. Well, it was, it's a difficult scenario picking the best players because, I mean, sometimes you, you play in the best teams and they, they are not the best players, you know. And True. I mean, the, the best team I ever played in was at Luton Town and... Uh, I mean, we, we had a fantastic run here, we had a golden period, a little golden era. Some of the players in there weren't, well, weren't renowned uh, as some of us I played with, but as a team we were fantastic, you know, and we blended together. Well. We had a good mix and, a, and, and as we all know, we had a good camaraderie and a good spirit, which for me is the most important part of a good football team. Excellent, excellent, I agree. So let's go, start straight off. Probably for you the most boring position on the pitch as a striker. Who have you gone for goalkeeper, Mick? Uh, I played with a hell of a lot of good goalkeepers, I would say. Uh, I was fortunate enough to play uh, with with a, a guy called Peter Grote at Lincoln. Then I moved on. I uh, played with, with Dave Seaman at, at Birmingham. Moved on. I played with Peter Shilton at Derby County. Uh, Les Seeley, Andy Dibble at Luton Town. And, and numerous other very, very good goalkeepers. Uh, but the, the goalkeeper who... who in my opinion, was was the best goalkeeper I played with, six foot three. Got him, got him, got him, I got him. He's my, he's my best friend. Uh, TC. Won't be a real popular choice by many of the Luton <laughs> fans uh, because of the club he used to play for, and he, he is a renowned legend at that football club and and one or two other clubs he played for, especially at Manchester City, uh, where he had a great career. And one of the goalkeepers I played with was an understudy to to this goalkeeper. Andy Dibble, and uh, I mean, he, 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 Andy Dibble has also backed me up and say what a very, very good goalkeeper he was. So, Tony so the, goalkeeper, the goalkeeper I chose, I played in the Birmingham City. Uh, he obviously played for Watford, sorry, sorry guys, and uh, and he played for Manchester City, but his name was Tony Coton. Very, He's very unfortunate. <laughs> not to get any England caps, uh, but he was in one of the squads when, when Graham Taylor was manager and he went over to Australia. Funny enough. So, uh, no, Tony Kelton would be my goalkeeper. What was he like? You say he's your best mate now. What was he like? 
straight down the line, crazy, simple. What what do you like to do with the ball? Or what was he like on and off the pitch as well? <laughs> Just explain. Well, Tony could have played centre forward. His techniques are good. He could have been a modern day goalkeeper. Uh, he's left footed. He's he's good balance. He's great hands. Uh, fantastic decision making goalkeeper. We're still the best of mates. He lives in Bolton. We speak every day. We go on holiday every year to Mallorca. Uh, won't go any further on that one, but we have good times when we go away. Uh, He's, he's just an all-around top goalkeeper, in my opinion. And I'm not just Mate. saying it because... Pardon? Oh. Yes. No, go on, carry on. Sorry, go on, carry on. I'm not just saying it because he's my best friend. I honestly believe believe that he was he, he is the best goalkeeper I've ever played with. I played with David Seaman, who was just an up-and-coming young kid at Birmingham. And, and, and Schultz, who was a legend, was <laughs> coming to the end of his career at Derby. Mick, as you know, there, there's <clears throat> loads of legendary stories about yourself. And TC, as, as, as he's known as. And one of the stories, I don't know if you can, like, um, officially, like, say this happened, was I heard, this is back in the day now, Andrew, when I'm, like, a young kid and I'm growing up, like, I'm just joined Luton, that whether he was down the road, Tony Goat and playing for that club, Mick used to go over there quite a bit and have the odd drink. And apparently, um, they're in the bar and these... <clears throat> like fans of Tony's clubs or like got a little bit like out of sorts and a little bit aggressive. And one of them saw Mick and came up to Mick and obviously they've been drinking like these supporters hit Mick over the head with a, a glass bottle. Mick's now sort of like started heading, running towards the door and they thought he was running out and they said, well, where's he going? He said, he's going to lock the door. Mick was going to lock the door with them in there. <laughs> Is that true? Oh. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> I like that version. Well, that's good, that. <laughs> that, that's what I heard. With all them Before in there. Mick... Huh? Now, what, what happened was, we, that did happen. It was, it was uh, one of many occasions that we, we went out, but this time it got a bit fractious and Tony's gone to the toilet. As he come out of the toilet, one of the lads have chinned him. So I've run down the road, I've run down the end of the bar and someone zipped me over the head with a bottle, as you said, yeah, and split me head wide. And I never ran to the door. I mean, I, we just laid a couple out and, and that was it. And we left, you know. So uh, we, we, had a, we had a few little fracas as, as, along the way. But uh, I mean, we're all a bit old now. We're all a bit mellow now. And, uh, the good memories, you can have a laugh about it. But I mean, it, it was crazy, really, what really happened. So, so that doesn't around. happen in Magaluf at all every year then? Magaluf or Alcuna? No, very mellow. A couple, couple of glasses of wine on an early night. You know, that's, that's, that's <laughs> normally the case. I get off the bed. Yeah. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Right back then. Let's go to right back. Right back was, uh, he's an Irishman. He, again, I, I played with him at Birmingham. He was, he was right up my street because he was like the modern day fullback who would attack. With, without even thinking about what he was doing. He would be up and down, up and down. And the balls he used to cross for me, the balls, uh, the supply chain from him was, was brilliant. And that's where I got my, <clears throat> excuse me, most of my goals when I played for Birmingham was, was from the right-hand side, from, from this lad who kept crossing the ball. Uh, he, he was an Irish international. I think he had 40, 50 caps for the, for the Republic of Ireland. Uh, he, he, he started his career, I think he started his career at Oxford. Uh, had a great career. Uh, he was slightly older than me when I was at Birmingham, uh, so I, I had I had two or three years with this player, and he was he was immense for me. He was immense for the club. He was great around the place, and he was just a proper proper lad. And uh, 
I mean, on, on the opposite side of him, I had uh, I had Mark Dennis as well, who was also <clears throat> also a left back and attack on left back. So for me, having having this player as a right back and Mark Dennis on the left back as a left back, attacking options and balls in the box were, were brilliant for me as a centre back. And the right back <coughs> I was David Langan. David Langan, yes. Okay. David Langan, yeah, yeah, yeah. David Langan. Uh, I, 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 again, I, I played with some superb right backs. I was fortunate enough to play with England and Gary Stevens was playing that night. But, but Lange always sticks out to me in terms of his attacking prowess and the delivery he used to put in the box for me. What Was was, was Briggs close? Tim Breaker close being up there, Mick? Yeah, Tim was in my, uh, as we said earlier, Marvin, in my Luton Town eleven. <laughs> Tim, I, I, I thought we were doing to you, thanks. Tim would definitely be in, 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 my, uh, in my Luton Town eleven and Runs, runs Lange a close second, 100%, yeah. Great player, uh, Tim, up and down. Briegel, as we used to call him, because he, yeah. he played like a German and he was non-stop and he was like, uh, you couldn't switch him off, you know, fit as anyone. But uh, I mean, Lange, his quality, uh, Marvin, I'd go for Lange. David as Lange. a striker, what's it like? I'll see you were known as, um, and, you, and you said yourself, you used to get a lot set up. You used to be known as a, as a big centre-forward. Um, obviously, you said you got a lot of service from the right and the left. Did you like to be known as that big um, centre forward, or did it irritate you sometimes? Where you actually, because you were very, very good with your feet on the ground, did it irritate you a bit getting that reputation, or did you not care? Oh, I didn't care really. You know, I mean, you you prove yourself on the pitch, and I, I always believed, and my my thought was was as long as my teammates thought I was a good player, I wasn't bothered what anyone else thought. You know, and and that's what I used to think. You had to prove yourself to obviously to your manager and to your, to the players you played with. And, that's why Marvin will tell you the same. When we were at Luton, we trained hard. We trained like Trojans. We, we, we couldn't get us off the training ground. And, and that's the way it was in those days, you know, we just because we wanted to, to improve ourselves. So basically, if, if the lads thought I was a good player, and that, I, I was delighted with that. You know, that was, that's who I had to prove to the, the players I was playing with. What's it sweet to finishing? A beautiful header or a beautiful to finish in the top corner? Any goal is beautiful. Uh, but, uh, I mean, uh, it's a difficult question. I mean, there's nothing better than a nice header that flies in the top corner, yeah. But there's nothing better that comes clean off the right boot or the left boot and it flies in the top. It's just, it's just. I, I, I mean, I, I watch football now, and we all see. Individual, I like team goals, may I also like team goals, and you know, I mean, part of the ethos at, at Luton Town was was team was a team ethic. It was all built up by by the management and obviously the players. The players were had a brilliant camaraderie in the in the spells I was here, and that, that was. That was a massive part of my love for Luton Town was the spirit and the camaraderie about the players. So team goals were good for me and I was on the end of them. Great. It's good to hear. Left back then. Let's move across the other side. I think he's mentioned him, isn't he? Is it, is it Mark, Dennis? No, no. Well, I was fortunate enough to uh, to play a couple of times for England and I was in the squad for, for I mean, two or three times and I was only a substitute for about 12 times. So uh, And there was a left back in the England squad who I played with in my full debut and uh, he's well, well renowned throughout the country as being arguably one of the best left backs ever to play for England. Yeah. Uh, throughout his career, he had a fantastic career. He's now coaching in the Premier League. He had various clubs, yeah. but he, his main club was Nottingham Forest and he was, he's, he's my type of player, run through a brick wall for the manager. Uh, team Pierce. player. Up and down, yes. Stuart Pearce. Stuart yes. 
hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Stu Pierce would be being my all-time eleven who I played with, uh, and it typifies. It just typifies what what a team is all about, in my opinion. I, what, I have to, I, I have to agree. Team. I have to agree with you, Mick. I mean, I mean, again, fortunate to play back in the eighties and against Forest. He was one of those ones who was a typical like war his heart on his sleeve, didn't he? And he, I mean, when he was going in for a tackle, you knew that if you didn't go in hard as he was going in, you were going to come out and get hurt. I mean, I remember playing up Forrest on a couple of occasions and going in to attack with him and more or less thinking it's him, but, I mean, he just had to go and do it. And I had to go in, like, harder than I would normally go in, if that's the case. Because I knew, I, it was Mick would say to me, like, if you don't effing go in hard, you're going to get hurt, Marv, sort of thing. So I, you had to go in hard, you know? That's why I used to send you in, Marv. I would only I'd only go in as hard as I did because I knew you was on the field. If you was not on the yeah. field I go, to back me up, I wouldn't go in as hard. <laughs> I mean it's it's bizarre. I mean it, it's when I mean you had Kingsley on here, didn't you? And they, obviously I bet that yeah. was a brilliant podcast for Kings with his insight into Nottingham Forest days and when when you look at when you look at Stuart Pierce, you think, Oh, he could handle Cluffy. Then you look at Kingsley and you wonder would he be able to manage managing, but it's it's amazing how, how teams are put together. You couldn't you couldn't imagine Kingsley playing with PSE and Roy and Roy Keane and all that lot. Yeah. But he, he his ability shone through, and I mean what what I mean he's he again was in my best ever to uh, Luton Town eleven. But obviously shame he never made them my all time. Yeah, so you see Stuart Pearson, um, obviously yeah. playing on the left hand side, got the reputation for being a bit of a a crazy guy. Um, what was he like in the dressing room then? Was he one of these leaders in the dressing room or was he always up front, obviously? And, and do you think as well, second part of that, do you think that him coming through non-league, because he clearly he worked his socks off to come all the way through non-league. I think he started at Whetstone, um, just down the road in uh, Hertfordshire. Wilson, yeah. yeah, sorry, Wilson. Um, well, well, so... tonight. We're off there tonight, mate, Nathan. Believe it. Oh, huh? Wilson are playing Stockport tonight, so we're going down there. We've got a... Uh, We've got a young lad on loan at Wheelstown, so we've got yeah. to watch him. Harry Eisted, isn't it? Harry Eisted? Yeah, Eisted. yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah well done. Yeah. Well done Good. Yeah. So, so what was he like then in dressing room? Was he, and do you think the non-league well, made him better? I mean, when, when he was in the dressing room, he was probably one of the younger ones. And so they, he, had, he had, I mean, there was probably more people who were more vocal than him, i.e. Terry Butcher, Brian Robson, one or two others who were more vocal than him. But... You could tell Pierce he was going to be a top player. He was a steward. He had confidence in himself. He was he was a, of a bigger physique than most people in terms of you know you could tell. And and the, and as you said earlier, the beauty of it is he come from non-league, which 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 is great and it's a it's a brilliant way to to, to come through. Obviously, I played with Vinnie Jones at Wimbledon, who was exactly the same. I think him and Stewart were more or less in the same team. Uh, I come through the same club, and it's great when there's a success story. It's, it's absolutely brilliant, and uh, he, he's a he's he's been a legend at Nottingham Forest, and 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 obviously he's renowned for his penalty miss, but he took it on the chin, and he, he's he's had an unbelievable career, and I'm I'm really pleased for him because he's a top bloke, you know. And uh, when he was when he was under 23 manager uh, for England, I was out of work, and uh, I turned up at a Watford game. Watford were playing, not sure they were playing anyway, and, and Stuart was there. We in the corridor having a cup of tea, and he says, "What are you doing, Mick?" So I'm not doing anything. I'm just watching the game. He went, do you want to come and work for me? I said, I'd love to, yeah. I said, what, doing what? He said, I'd do a bit of scouting. And I swear to God, within three or four days, there was a contract through, everything was through there. 
I mean, an um, unbelievable, generous guy and all that, you know. And I worked for Stuart for about eight, eight, nine months, just watching games for him, watching players. So I owe him one. And uh, that's not the reason why I put him in my team, though. It's, uh, no. Because he was, because he was, a, he was a top player. And Marvin should now be a left back. Yeah, definitely. No, I agree with you. Good choice, Mick. Good choice. Centre-backs, <clears> then. This is going to be interesting. Who you got for centre-back? Left or right? Either one, either Please. one. These two centre backs will both play on the right hand side, but I've I've got I've got to pick them both. People have done that, Mick. That's fine. People have done that before. They've done that. People have done that. I used to room with this guy. Uh, I used to room with him. Not at club football. Uh, when we were on international duty, and he became a very very good friend of mine, and still is. He's a London boy. Uh, great great kid. Great great man. Said kid. Great a great bloke. Uh, he's got he's got family in the game now. Some of his sons are playing in the game. Uh, he is he is along with Stuart Pearce uh, a legend at, at a certain club. Uh, he was he played the majority of his career at this certain club. Then he went off to Sheffield Wednesday. He's managed by David Pleat. Uh, oh, yeah. He he made he made his I think I think. Des made. Oh, I'll give it. Des Walker. He made his yeah. debut. I was going to guess Des Walker. He made his debut for England very close to when I did. I think he was the, the the game before or whatever. But I played with Des and he he's he's a top man and you know you'll never beat Des Walker. And I played against him in uh, for for against Forest against Sheffield Wednesday and they were right. You know you'll never beat Des Walker. He was uh, he was the quickest thing on two legs. Uh, not not great technically, but brave heads get up and challenge. He was a he was a real, 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 real proper, proper defender and that, you know. And that's what I like in my defenders. People ask me about defenders and the first thing I say, can he edit? Can he tackle? It's not, can he play? Can he pass? It's for me, it's, can he defend? Can he defend? Yeah. yeah. Can, he, can, he do his, can he do his job, Mick? That's your role. Yeah. yeah. So, so Des, Des is... Uh, Des is uh, one of my centre-halves. I mean, you, you, you moved to a few clubs over your time and Des Walker went abroad. Do you have any regrets about going abroad? Did you ever have a chance, Mick, to go abroad and play, play in another country? Obviously, Des went to Italy. Uh, I, I don't know whether this is true when agents really weren't in the game. When, uh, when Chris, Chris Waddle went to Marseille, some agent rang me up and said, Mick, they're interested in, in taking yourself and Chris to, uh, to Marseille. Would you be interested? I was injured at the time. I... I mean, I, I did have a few knee injuries throughout my career. And at the time I was injured, so it never transpired, never never happened. So I didn't really get the opportunity to, to go abroad. No, I didn't. Uh, would I have liked to? Of course you would. You want to further, you want to, you want to try these things, experience these things. Uh, but no, I, I didn't. I never got I never got an opportunity. Okay, interesting. And Des Walker, we've heard he was a good boy, good down the, good out on the social side. Um, is that true? Obviously, you roomed, you roomed with him. That was from Kingsley told us that, yeah. No, no, Oaksy. Oaksy was that was. Oh, was it Oaksy? Yeah, Oaksy played with Wednesday. Oh, yeah, did Oaksy have him in his team as well? Yes, Oaksy had him in his team, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah good, good. Oh, Des, Des is the king of Nottingham. You know, you go up to Nottingham and go and see Des, he'll look after you, he'll take you on a night out. You get in any pub you want to, and he he's, 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 he's a, he is the legend of... Uh, Nottingham, he is the, uh, is the king. And I, 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 had him, I had him on my um, stag. I went to Nottingham for my stag weekend when I first got mad, Mick. And um, obviously, um, Oaksy was, was out with me. And then, like, he goes, oh, let me give Des a ring. And, like, rang Des. And Des was there within five minutes and yeah. literally 
we did not have to queue anywhere to get in. Not a single place. Oaks, he must, he must have owed him some money, did he? Oaks, he owed him some money. He, turned up with <laughs> he owed him a fiver or something, did he? <laughs> awesome. Other centre-back. Other centre-back. Who's it? This centre-back, I played club football with him. He, he, uh, in my opinion, he is the best, one of the best players I've ever played with. Uh, the way he got everyone together at the football club, his camaraderie, the way he, he taught young players how to defend and how to, how to be in a back four in terms of when to attack, when not to attack. Uh, he came into the football club, he hardly trained. He put on a Saturday, he knew, he knew what you were getting every Saturday. I saw the bloke play with numerous injuries. Broken arms, and anything. If he if he could physically get himself on the football pitch, he would have done. And he had this knack of uh, the ball used to land on his head all the time. Weird. And people used to say to me, oh, "How come the ball lands on his head all the time?" Because he's a good defender. And in my opinion, uh, he should have had more caps for England. He played for England. Very very good player. Still a real real good friend of mine. And arguably, in my opinion, the, the, at Luton, he was the best sign in Luton Town ever made in the history and his name's Steve Foster. Was he? Yes. I mean, and is, Marvin he, knows he... more about Marv can tell you more about him because my memory's gone. Mick, would he be the captain of that team there? Would he be the one to captain that 11 you've got there or Not close yet, to? No, no. no? Oh, yeah. close. But Probably no, um, again, um, I spoke to um, Bertie the other day, his son. Oh, so yeah, Fozzie, yeah. yeah, so Fozzie's gonna lay he's gonna be he's gonna come on here. He's like a little bit like yourself, not sure on how to work some technology. So Bertie's taken over and well, you was well, Mick, he was crying, he couldn't get the, the, the audio working earlier on. He couldn't get the key on on and off, on and off. We know it happens, don't worry. Anyway, changing the subject. Um yes, Fozzie, I mean the man mountain, like you said, when I learned so much from him. When I first come to the team, obviously yourself and Steeny, and but more so Fozzie being a defender, me being defender, I think it was a case that, I mean, it'd be like stupid not to just to watch the guy and just learn from him because he wasn't he wasn't slow, Mick, was he? But he wasn't blessed with pace. But he was never, never, in my opinion, caught out of position, and that was because obviously he just read the game and knew where to be, basically. So, well, he, 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 I mean, when 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 we all signed for Luton and Fozzie was the first one that came in, which completely brought in, and then we had two two very very good attacking fullbacks in uh, Mitchell Thomas, Rob Johnson, Tim Breaker. We had attacking fullbacks, and that's the way completely he wanted to play and all that, you know. But Fozzie put the reins on the big time. <laughs> yeah. oh, where, where are you going? You're staying here. Then then with, with respect, Luton were a really really good attacking team with the likes of Steeny and Paul Walsh and Rick Hill and all his players. But they'd end up winning 4-3 one week or getting beat 5-4 or, or, or drawing 4 each. All of a sudden, we start winning 1-0 and 2-0 and not conceding any goals and you start climbing up the table. And, and, it's, it's, and that, was, that was, in my opinion, just the way Fozzie manages full-backs, manages team, manages holding midfield players and stuff like that. And he just managed them as a, as a, as a, as a captain, you know. And right, you can go off, off you go now. Go on, Mitchell. Canter on and get up the left side now and... And he, he he always got himself always was always organised and always always made sure he was he was never exposed. You know. As a striker, what was it like to to train with these guys? Obviously, Des Walker, Steve Foster. 
Um, who was the toughest one to train against and score against in training? Well, that, ooh, that's a good question because I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they, were, they, were, hey, they were all good players. They were all, um, when I turned up at Luton as, as a football club, and, and I, I'll always say Luton Town was the team I played in, was the best team I played in uh, as, as, a, as a club. And they were, they were all internationals. You, know, you got Mal Donaghy, uh, Fozzie, Ricky Hill, Brian Steen, Peter Nicholas, uh, Ashley Grimes. I mean, all, all proper players, you know. And, and it was it was a, it was a tough gig, and I mean, obviously you come up against. I mean, one 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 of the best centre halves I played against was, was Terry Butcher, great great centre half, man mountain, fantastic on the ball. He'd have been a modern day good centre half, you know, Terry Butcher. He was technically very good, and you and you in in training, all, all you all you did in training was you used to work hard and, and just work your socks off, and something dropped for you. You know, I mean, you you, you try and take a chance, uh, but. It was easy to play against Fuzzy in training because he never came out. He was always in the, he was always in the treatment room, really. So uh, no, it was, <laughs> it's uh, it's a good question. It's a good question. Mick, they're all Mick. difficult. Yeah, all just going into that, that similar to Andrew's question. Now, in your opinion, I mean, again, this is, this is not being disrespectful to any like players you played against. Who would you say was giving you the most tough time in the game? Because I used to watch a few games and one particular person in my head who used to like give as good as much as what you dissed out to him was Keown. He used to do quite not well, bad against you, in my opinion. It's a great question, Marvin. A lot, I mean, in the games, it's difficult to say, but in the games, you mean, you, I get asked this a lot, who's the best centre-half ever played again? And there were so many good centre-halves around in those days and everyone was different. You, know, you, you look at, you look at, Hanson and Lawrence, you know I mean, you already got a kick against that lot. So, you, you, I remember we played Birmingham, played Liverpool on a Tuesday night, and we drew one each in the, I think it was a quarter final of the League Cup. And I scored, then soon S equalised at St Andrews. <clears throat> and we played a replay at Anfield on the Thursday. So, I mean, they talk about loads of games nowadays. <laughs> when, so we, we just never trained and we went up there. And I, I and Marvin, I tell you now, without a word of a lie, I stood on the halfway line. Watch the game for 90 minutes while they just popped it around, popped it around. The ball would come up then, get taken off you, and they'd go back there. And that's the way they played. They, 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 they kept the ball off teams and that, you know. And Phil Neal scored the winning goal, but we got beat 1 0. But then you have a different challenge. The next week you come against Alvin Martin or, or Tony Adams and Martin Keown, as you said, who, who were tough, tough nuts and all that, you know. And really hard to crack. And they, 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 weren't, they weren't intimidated by anything. They get they get tight up your arse and that you know and not do anything to you and give give whatever they were getting and that you know but yeah. for me the best one if you want to ask the question the best one as an individual I'd have to say probably Paul McGrath he he had a bit of everything you know he paced quick strong aggressive he did me a few times on when we played him on the plastic pitch and he was he wasn't intimidated by anything and he he was a top player I wouldn't say he was. But he was probably the hardest opponent you play against, you know, on a, on a Saturday afternoon. All different, all very, very good players, but all very different and all, all got different traits, all got different strengths. And, and more than what, what we used to look for, they've all got weaknesses as well. Yeah, they have indeed, like. they have indeed. <laughs> Excellent. Well, what we can do is we're going to pause there for a second, Mick, and we're going to um, pause for a break and we'll be back after the break to hear... Um, the three midfielders and the three attackers in Mick Harford's My Best Eleven. Thank you for listening to My Best Eleven Pod. We are currently accepting applications for 
advertisement and sponsorships, you can reach us at mybestlivingpod or mybestlivingpod at gmail.com. Thank you. Right, so we are back uh, for the second part of My Best Eleven podcast. Um, we have Mick Harford here. Um, just to go through so far, just to remind listeners, um, goalkeeper Tony Cotton, got David Langham, um, Stuart Pearce, Des Walker and Steve Foster. We now get into the tasty bit into midfield um, and we'll let Mick take it away in any order that you, you want to. I assume there's going to be a holding midfielder or um, are you going to do a Gareth Southgate and play three or four holding midfielders in there? Um, or what are, you, right what are you thinking? Left. We'll go from right to left. Okay. Off you go. Uh, uh, Bobby Charlton is my hero, my favourite ever football and still, in my opinion, the best player ever to grace a football pitch. This bloke's not far behind him in terms of his uh, his England uh, ability and what he's done for England and how he was. He, he, he's a bit of a legend and all that. And only he's from the northeast. Uh, I he made his debut when I he came on substitute whilst in my full debut, and that was his first cap. Uh, he's a legend at loads of clubs. He's been abroad, like I, you said. Did I have an opportunity to go abroad? This guy went abroad to Italy and, and he ripped him oh, okay, yeah. over there. Uh, he's, a, he's a Geordie. He come down to London and uh, in my opinion, I was, I was a bit devastated because I, I loved the bits and he's that type. I really wish he'd gone to Manchester United uh, where I know he had the opportunity to go to Manchester United as he, as he says in his book. But he turned them down and went to Spurs instead and I think if he'd have gone to Manchester United and he would have been looked after more. Not, I'm not saying by the manager, or, or it would have been by the players when you got the likes of Kane and, and, and Neville and, and they would have controlled them a little more. I think when he come down to London, at times he control them. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Gascoigne. Paul Gascoigne. Paul Gascoigne, yeah. yes. Yeah. And Gaza and, and for me is, 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 is up there in, in a very high status in English football in terms of his ability he's done for the, for the country as a player. And I, I think it could have it could have been a hell of a lot more, like probably other people. Oh, definitely, definitely. Was he um, obviously in training? Was he always as tricky and had all those had the tricks in, in his bag? And or was he one of these lazy um, attacking midfielders that knew he had it and turned it on on the Saturday? He wasn't lazy, and he trained really hard. And okay, I mean, think think back to the, to the camps and that. You know, when we, I mean, there wasn't there wasn't the sports science there are nowadays. But myself. Chris and uh, Gaza would go into the gym uh, and we'd have sit-up competition and just by ourselves after training. He'd be last off the pitch doing his tricks, flicks and that, you know, and trying, trying to better himself. He was, he was always last off the training ground, always, always, always out there training, straight in the gym and first on the training ground in, in the morning. But around the place, he was, he was the life and soul of the place, absolute life and soul of the place. He's, uh, he's definitely worth a place in my team, 100 I have to agree with you, Mick. I mean, we, we talk about I mean, being a professional football player. You're on another level because obviously I mean, you have the supporters and the fans who would love to just play one league game. But then when they, they're watching ourselves and their, their players, their idols, it's like they know they're on another yeah. level. And I think for me... When we played against, when I played it with him, when he was at Tottenham, a lot is a case where yes, there's a there's a lot of players on the field of the same 
standard and ability, but like when he was on the field, there was another level on top of that, Mick, if, if you know what I mean, to say yeah, that this yeah. guy was ridiculous. I think I think if you ask any any English footballer, who's, he'd be in there all time eleven uh, in terms of pick your best England eleven. He'd be in there, you know, one hundred percent. And he, yeah. he was a genius. He was a genius. Things he did in training, things he did on the football pitch. Uh, as I said, I just think he'd gone to United. I wish he'd gone to United instead of coming down to London. And uh, I think he, he might have, might have even been better as a player. Yeah. Yeah, well, obviously. Yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, do you, do you, with obviously with regards to um, Gaza, um, do you do you think that as a as a player yourself and Marv as well, do you think that attacking players, do you think it's natural or do you think you have to work at it or both? I mean, this is also for young kids listening out uh, to make it as uh, to that elite elite level. Sorry, go on. Sorry, I was going to say, well, Mick hit the nail on the head. I think just hard work. I mean, everyone like you know was just sees the the the, the Gaza on the field and the tricks and the, and the skill and but I I mean I didn't obviously play with him but I I know that Mick probably knowing what he does I mean he, he said like they were training he, he would probably be the last of the training field and and in that session and whatever session it was every day he would be stripping with sweat all the top 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 players I mean he, he mean I'm, I'm guessing them Messi Ronaldo they work hard. That's one thing. That doesn't just happen overnight. That's that skill stuff. They've had to work at that. Sorry, mate. Yeah, no, I, I honestly believe what, what you say and uh, where it comes from. I think it's most definitely, I mean, he's a street footballer. That's what he is. And you see those, what he does on the ball and the way he drops his shoulder, the way he goes past people, goes past people. And that, that's that's just natural, you know. No, no, no coach in the world could coach what he does. No, no coach in the world can tell Messi what to do and or Ronaldo what to do. For me, that's just the Gazers and the George Best. That, that's natural ability, you know, and, and that's learnt in the streets and playing in the parks and playing, playing in the back garden, in the backyard and so on. Uh, allied, allied with the, the fitness he was, he, he was fit as anyone, you know, yeah. fit as anyone on, 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 the, on the testings we used to do. And he was just, just a top all-round guy and all that, you know, and he, he, he for me, the best, the best part of a team is the camaraderie and the spirit and Gaza was the epitome Absolutely, no, oh, definitely. Excellent. And you hear that from the stories and the players, and, and yeah, it, it's it's great to hear, and um, it's great to hear it from you, who actually played at England as well. That he, it's actually true that he was that type of life of the party behind scenes. Yeah. So moving on to the other central midfield, um, moving across now to the middle. Uh, well, he's he, he can play holding midfield player, he could attack, he could play attacking midfield player. But just what I thought the best three midfield players to to suit the team and the, the players I played with, he. I played with this guy at Chelsea. Uh, he's a he's an Irish international. Uh, loads of caps. Played in the World Cups. Played in the Euros. Left-footed boy. Great energy. Great up and down. Again, a fantastic personality, which is key for me. It makes a big part of being a footballer. Uh, is that Norwich. He was at Norwich. Yes, Norwich. Had, had a few clubs. Uh, I, I, had, I, had, I was fortunate enough to play with him at, uh, at Chelsea. Great, great again, again, another, as I said, another good character and a really good all round footballer, you know. And he played in an era at, in, in, in the Northern Ireland team, sorry, the Southern Ireland team that, that had some real, real top class players. And for him, to, for him to, to stay in there for the amount of time he did, it was, it was amazing. So uh, the, the player I'm talking about is Andy Townsend. Uh, yeah. He's the epitome. He could play on the left, on the right, in the middle, but I would use him as a holding midfield player. Because he had a, he had a good range of passing, he had a good brain, 
He uh, he could receive the ball in certain positions off the back four. Certain he could get in support of the uh, of the strikers if he needed to. And just a good all around footballer, you know, and reliable week in week out every Saturday. You know, you could rely on him. Did, did he did he start in Norwich? Mitt? Do you know? Was it Norwich he started at? I don't know. I think he did start Norwich, yeah. You'd have to, I think you'd have to check that. Don't quote me, but you'd have to check that. Yeah. No, but I mean, yeah. they came, they were a very good again. So, I mean, blessed to be playing um, back in that time. They had yeah. some real top, top yeah. players, didn't they? Like, I mean, the, the cook, there was a Cooks, a couple of Cooks there was there as well. They had um, um, a couple of midfielders and they had, um, what's his name on the wing? It was quick. Um, Gordon. Who? Gordon. Gordon. Yes, Gordon, Flash, Flash yeah, on the wing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Fleck up front, Fleck, I think it's Fleck. Yeah, Rob Fleck. Yeah,ブロックフレックやっぱりちょっとチャンスですわ、ブロックフレックで。いや、ブロックフレックやっぱりちょっとチャンスですわ、ブロックフレックやっぱりちょっとチャンスですわ、ブロックフレックやっぱ
And part of being a footballer is being part of the dressing room. And going going back to what Mick just said about the the dressing room, I mean, I can I mean talk as being an apprentice growing up at Luton. If I mean, you, you didn't want we didn't want to go into that dressing room once them pros were in there in the morning of the morning. If we if we what we used to do, Mick, like, I mean, you, and you probably know this, we used to make sure that the boots or whatever thing we needed was out of that dressing room by nine fifteen because obviously they would be in for nine twenty nine thirty right around that time. And if you had to go back in that dressing room, it's just like a case of like not being scared that they'd do anything to you, but just. Respect. We just, you know, you just, you just didn't want to look at them in their face, or I mean, you just didn't want to. I mean, you just, I can't explain it. But I, I know the games evolved now, and that wouldn't happen in today. I mean, some kids will just bowl straight in the dressing room and probably wear some other pros' boots, knowing them. But back in my day, it was a case like, listen, get your stuff out there because the pros will be in, in a minute. We don't want to be in there when they're in there. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's the key word is respect, Marvin, and and it's, that, that's what it's all about. You know, you. They want to get to a level, and and I think I think these rules and regulations are put in by the coach. And and in all fairness, you probably had the best coach you ever worked with, because I always believe the youth team coach should be your best coach. Stick in your mind, and John Moore, John Moore, who he was brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant. He rolled with he ruled with an iron fist. Not in, in the discipline was excellent, and the work rate was excellent. And it's proven by all the players that was brought through by Luton whilst I was at the club. The players, the youth players, the, I mean, there was a stream of young kids coming through. I mean, there was an endless, endless, and, and for me, it was down to discipline and respect. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Interesting. So we'll keep going. Um, move across to the next centre midfielder. He's the captain. Uh, <laughs> he's the captain, yeah. Is he, is he yeah, from the North East? Uh, he's from the North East, from a place called Chesley Street, yeah. All the good players come from the North East, Marvin, <laughs> you know. Uh, Not like us soft, soft Southerners. <laughs> No, no, no. Some top players, Glenn Odlin, and they're, they're from down here, aren't they? They're, they're, they're legends. But this bloke is a legend in the, wherever he's been, whatever he's done. He's a, he's a, he's a real, real legend. And, uh, he's had probably one of the best careers ever anyone could ever have in terms of achieving things and winning things and, and doing things and, and playing for top clubs. He started his career at West Brom, I think, and he obviously ended up at Chester United. Uh, he was captain on the night I made my debut for England. Uh, and it was an honour to play with him, Brian Robson. Uh, he could play any position you want to in that midfield. He could play holding midfield, could play on the left, could play on the right. Uh, <clears throat> fantastic to everyone, a, a leader, a winner. He's a good all-round guy and a wonderful footballer. Wonderful. You talk about injuries. And if that man hadn't had so many injuries, he would have. I think the kids these days would know a lot more about him. Uh, I mean, I think, I think if, you, if you ever want to... Epitomise being a being a footballer. You should give the young. You should give the kids the video of that lot of Brian. You know, and, and when he played for West Brom and England, especially and Man United. I mean, he wasn't called Captain Marvel for nothing. He was. He was. He's renowned and he's a legend. And that, you know, when you speak to any ex-Manchester United player who played with him, who was around him, who knew what he's about, they, they, he he's, he comes out top of the tree, one hundred percent. Yeah, that's why I would have him as my captain of the team. No, fantastic choice. I mean, great choice. There's not, there's not much you can say, not, not say about the guy. I mean, I mean, but you're talking about now. He was right up there in the midfielders when you're talking about the people like Platini and um, Tigana and all that. They were good, but Robson was spoke about in the same breath as those. So yeah. that just proves to you what sort of player he was. 
Awesome, he was awesome, yeah. And yeah. You're right, Marv, he should, he should be in there. I mean, the, yeah. the only sad thing is about, about those top players, and we've had, in my opinion, we've had loads of top England players, like Gaza, for instance, yeah. that have never achieved the, the Holy Grail, which, which Bobby Charlton and Bobby Moore have never, have never, have never got to that level, you know. And uh, I, the, do they deserve it? I'm not sure, but they, they give it a real go and give it a real chance, you know, and it just never happened for them. No, definitely so. What was um, Brian like when you came into the dressing room then in England? Well, he, he was the leader. I mean, we first, when I first ever met the joined joined the squad, he was first to shake my hand. We met at a hotel in in Wickham. Uh, then we trained we trained locally around Wickham and that you know. And he he, he was there to welcome me. It was my first it was my first obviously squad when when we met there. When I first meeting with the squad, and you going into a into a restaurant for food. That's when I first met them, and you. You bump into Glen Oddle and Gary Lineker and all the all the all the top players in the country, and you think, "Well, what am I doing here?" You know, and he made you feel very welcome, made you feel at home. But what, you know, it's like anything else. Once you once you get onto the training ground and get in the environment, everything seems to settle down and all that. You know, but just getting to know them is very very hard, and that you know, in and around on a on a daily basis, it's tough. You know, but uh, but he he made me feel very welcome, and uh, obviously coming from the northeast, uh, it helps. You know. Does indeed, true. does indeed. So we're moving up front now. Well, we'll go across the front three. Uh, yeah. We'll start with the, the player on the right-hand side. Uh, I played with this guy at Luton. Uh, again, he's an England international. Technically, one of the best players I've ever played with. Uh, big, strong, athletic, run up and down, could play. Stick him in any position in the midfield. I've, I've put him in a wide right position. But stick him in any position in the midfield. In a three, in a four, in a two, he can handle it. Uh, his vision, awareness, in possession, uh, out of possession, he'll do a job for you, he'll work back. He, he's a team player, uh, just an all-round, really, really, and a real top guy. Uh, probably one of the nicest guys you could ever, ever meet. And Marvin knows what I'm talking Tricky, about. tricky. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And he's a wonderful footballer, absolutely I can't describe how wonderful he was in possession and how graceful he was. I can see him now running down the side of the pitch, drifting past people. And he's not, he wasn't a winger. He was a midfield player, but he still had that strength and power. And he'd deliver balls into the box. He'd turn up in, off the line in, in positions and handle the ball and twist and turn. And a wonderful player, wonderful. Are you play, playing week in, week out Hill uh, must have been fantastic. Was it a case of he learnt where you went, or you got told by him where the ball's going to go, or did he just find you wherever you were? Well, he, Ricky really wasn't a cross of the ball. I wouldn't say drift you know, a bit like where David Priest played on the other side, and I knew when Priest he dropped his shoulder when the ball was coming. Ricky could drift past people, then he could check inside and come on his left or right foot, and he could play into Steeny and play a one-two, whatever. You know, he he, uh, he wasn't a great supply for me, Rick. But he was a wonderful player. Uh, I wouldn't say he was he was a supplier for me, but we we'd link up together and, and he'd, he'd try and play off me and join in and, and things like that, you know. And he he turn up in the box because he was a he was a massive presence, you know. He was about six foot one and big strong boy and very very athletic. And I mean, people that size and really not that good technically. But he was he was like he was a rude ullet in all fairness. That's that's the type yeah. of player you know. He, he was that type. He, he was fantastic. And again, in my opinion, didn't really get the recognition deserved at the at England level. Maybe should have had more caps. I think he only got one cap, Rick. Uh, so should have had more. But now, marvellous player and a lovely bloke. 
Today. We, I mean, I think his name's come up already on quite a few other um, pods and we've spoke about it and I've said, look, I mean, for me, I mean, I've played with some great, great Luton players, you, yourself being included one, Mick. But like, if, I mean, I've got to ask the question, who's the one who just maybe pips everyone? And I, I, mean, I've, I mean, I've chose Ricky because just, yeah. he had everything, I mean, in my eyes, he had everything. He could tackle, he would, I mean, he could head, he, he could shoot, he could pass, you know what I mean? So, it, I forgot it about his head. Huh? Yeah. His head was he used to hang in the air. It was, it was, it was yeah. unbelievable. He used to just hang in the air and just so, like you said, strong, athletic. He had everything, you know? Yeah. It's just, I mean, I think, like, again, we, we, we all love Luton. and uh, it's a, it was a surprise to me that he didn't get that big move, maybe, to. Um, a so-called bigger club, so to speak, you know? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, and the, the, maybe the beauty of it was or why he never got that move because he, I mean, Ricky was playing on the right wing and he wasn't a winger, you know, he drifted inside and as, as we as we went down, uh, I mean, on the 88 Cup, finally played in midfield because uh, Danny Wilson was then the player on the outside of him. So Ricky, as, as, he, as he got a bit older, he turned himself into a really top-class midfield player, you know? Really classy in possession. Really fantastic player. Oh, excellent. So, we'll go left-hand side and then we'll go up front. Striker. Okay, yeah. Would you want the left winger? Yeah, yeah we'll go left wing next, yeah. Left wing, I played with this guy when I was at Newcastle. When I was, uh, I'd have been about oh, 20. He was a year younger than me. And he knew, he knew from day one. He signed for Tauloy. He was, at, he, was at the, he was at the club when I, when I got there. And we become very good friends. Uh, and I'm not putting him in the team because he's a very good friend because he's, he's a world-class player. Uh, absolutely world-class. Had a fantastic career. Uh, dance past people like they weren't there. Get to the byline, cross balls. Oh, end, up in, end up in unbelievable positions with two or three players lying behind him on the floor. He danced past people, a la John Barnes or whatever. So, I mean, arguably one of the best wingers ever to play for England, in my opinion. Uh, Great player, played in the good teams at, at, uh, at Tottenham as well, and he ended up in Marseille, and he's he's still revered down in Marseille now. And they, they, I think they'll build a statue one day for him down there. Him and Papan, is it Papan, Mark? Yeah, Papan, yeah, yeah. yeah they'll, they'll have a statue. And, and, and there's another one there, was it? Um, a better Pele, was it? Was for them as well? Ibeni Pele, yeah, that, that'll do, that'll do, Mark. Yeah, <laughs> no, so Chrissy, so Chrissy, Chrissy Waddle. Yeah. Chris, Chris Waddle. Waddle, yeah, yeah. Chris Waddle was a was a was a was a was a brilliant player. And from first day you lay eyes on him, you see him. He was a big gangly kid, and he could still drift past people. And he still, oh, he was a great player, fantastic. And he had a left foot as well, which for England's oh, quite a rarity. Really, really, <laughs> oh, a wonderful left foot. Yeah, drift past people, go either way, right left foot. You're not sure which way you're going to go. So unorthodox. Uh, not a typical frame for a footballer. Big gangly kid and all that, you know. But when he filled out, he, I mean, he, he had, he had, he had an amazing career. Went to Tottenham, played in that team. That's I mean, it's the second played. time he's his name's come up in the last two or three weeks, yeah. isn't it, Andrew? Yes, it is. Yeah, yes. He was in. He was in someone well, else's team. Huh? Well, I'm glad because I, I, I think he deservedly should be in. But this is this, this is this was when he was at Bradford, Mick. Oh yeah, well you got Sheffield, you mean you got Sheffield now. Sheffield as well, yeah. That's right. Sheffield Wednesday, you know. And and Chris still lives in Sheffield. 
But he, he's got status everywhere he goes. He, Bradford, I, got, I forgot about Bradford. Yeah, Marvin. Real, yeah, because I remember that um, Andy Kwamia was on, on, on here and he's a real, real top guy. He's a, he's a pick up Andy Kwamia, drive him and, and like, he goes real top, top guy as well. Not in a good player, but a real top. Yeah. I bet he charged him petrol money, Waddle. <laughs> <Hey. laughs> hey, I bet he did, yeah. He was brilliant. Brilliant player, and he, he was he was signed from non-league a bit. I mean, we, early on, we were talking about Vinnie Jones and Stuart Pearce coming out of non-league, and yeah. Chris come out of Tower Law and that, you know. So, so no, it's it's good. It's good that they uh, that they, they were breeding players down in, in the non-league years ago. So that's no, fantastic. What, what's it like coming through? Um, obviously, up in the northeast um, in the eighties, and what, what was it like coming through there as a youth team player and? Uh, Marv's told us some stories of in the dressing room we heard earlier on about in the dressing room of first team dressing room as an apprentice. Um, what was it like for you coming through? Well, I was I wasn't a I wasn't a youth team player. I was uh, I left school and I, I was I got a trial at Sunderland uh, youth team. I never got taken on. So then I I was a plumber for three years. I worked as a plumber from the age of fifteen to eighteen. Then I was playing for a boys' club in Sunderland. Uh, with a few of my friends, uh, loved it, loved the football. And, and even a year before that, I, I packed in playing football. And I used to follow Sunland. I'd go on, uh, I packed in, I, I wanted to follow Sunland. I'd go overnight to games, home and away. I was a loyal fan. Then a friend of mine who played for this team called Lampton Street Boys, the manager knocked on my door. He said, Mick, do you want to play for us? I went, not really, no, I'm enjoying myself watching Sunland. He said, we'll give you 50p a goal. I went, okay then. So I went, I went and played for them and uh, in, inside 18 months, about four of us had been picked up uh, when Graham Taylor was manager of Lincoln. Uh, there was a player called Alan Harding who was a player at Lincoln and the manager of our team uh, at Lampton Street was called, <coughs> excuse me, he was called Norman Alder who was a friend of Alan Harding and he said, look, I've got some good young players up here, you need to come and have a look at them. And fair play to Graham Taylor, he came up and he signed four of us. He signed me, a lad called Mickey Smith, who went on to have a good career. A lad called Alan, Alan Eden, who also, he went home because he was homesick, because he didn't, he couldn't handle it. But he was actually the first one who broke into the team. And a guy called Keith Laybourne, who, God bless him, he, he died of cancer a few years ago. But he also broke into the team. So, so basically, four of us from, from the boys' club got our opportunity at Lincoln City. And that was down to Graham Taylor. And for, ironically enough, the day I signed, the day I signed the papers for Lincoln City, Graham Taylor became the manager of Watford. So he'd left wow. and now, so off he went and that, you know. So, but that was a brilliant and, experience and coming through there and from the and, boys' club and, and going. And now you, you got there. Um, go on. Pardon. I, I was going to say, I know you got there in the end. I, I know you got there in the end, but when Newcastle came looking for you um, from Lincoln, was you quite? little bit disappointed that Sunderland didn't come in for you I know you got there in the end to Sunderland but like yeah I, I mean I, I went to Newcastle at the wrong time it was too much I wasn't really I was too young and all that and I was only 21 coming out of Lincoln going to Newcastle into that environment uh, and what was expected of you and it didn't help me come from Sunderland because no. you've got to get off to fly and start like I said like I said earlier to Andrew it's when you go into these dressing rooms, you need, if you're a young boy, you need to get off to fly and start. And it just got worse for me, especially being a Sunderland fan as well and not doing it in Newcastle. And I went away and I learned from that experience. I went to Bristol City after that and I thought that'll never happen to me again. And fortunately, it didn't. Uh, 
I just couldn't handle it at Newcastle. He's, he's going back to you saying you're a Sunderland fan. Um, obviously, Luton fans on here would have um, will well know your your first game in your in your second full stint as as manager um, was obviously when Luton went up to Stadium of Light uh, a couple of years ago. What was that like for you as your first kind of game back in charge and going up to the club you support as a boy? That was brilliant. It was totally unexpected what happened and all that, you know. And uh, to go back there and I was probably one of the only only people ever to go to the Stadium of Light and get cheered by both sets of fans. <laughs> it was uh, it was quite nice, really, and we got we got a decent draw. We had a good performance. Oh. We we kicked on a little bit after that game. So no, no, it was it was a brilliant, brilliant experience for me. And it was, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a strange scenario that day, and uh, but it's uh, it lived long on my memory of it, and a really enjoyable day. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, awesome. So, and just one final question on that: um, Would you say that if you weren't obviously with Luton right now, who would you look for first? Whose result? Sunderland or Luton? Uh, Sunderland. I'm a Sunderland fan. They're my team. And I, everyone knows that and everyone respects that. I have a passion for Luton Town Football Club. Absolutely, yeah, a real passion. And uh, I love the club. I love this football club. It's been great to me. Uh, the people of Luton have been fantastic to me. And I've got the utmost respect for every Lutonian and everyone in this football club uh, for what we've been through down the years. And Marvin knows what it's like. It's a massive roller coaster ride being being employed at this football club is the ups and downs of it ups and downs of it, sorry, is like no other club you'll ever work at. So yeah, I, I have a passion and a love for this football, but I'm a Sunland fan. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. So we'll move on. Striker. Sorry, Marv, you go. You go, Marv. No, centre forward guy. Yeah, centre forward. Go on, centre forward. That's what I was gonna say. Forward, uh, very, very technical guy. Uh, technique, probably as good as I've seen on any footballer. Uh, great goal scorer. Very, very good friend of mine. Known him for years. Uh, played golf for him a lot of times down the years. He's arguably, in my opinion, definitely one of the best strikers ever, ever to play for Luton Town Football Club. He's, his positional sense, the way he received the ball, he dropped his shoulder, he could go either way. His finishing was excellent. Uh, and he was just a real... And England internationally, he got his caps for England. Uh, he was he on his day. He was unplayable. Really was unplayable on his day with his movement and and, and really really I thought a hell of a lot of this guy in terms of being being a footballer and and what he's been through in life as well because he he had a tough upbringing uh, come from a real real tough upbringing and and to achieve what he's achieved and and be the player he is he, it's a, it's a marvelous marvelous achievement and that's that's Brian Steen as you well yeah. yeah. Yeah, he, he was a he was a, he was a top player, Brian. Yeah, top totally, totally agree. Listen, yeah. totally agree with you. I mean, yeah. he he was like he could turn on a sixpence, couldn't he? He used to yeah. get his little backside into you and go one way, then go the other, and I mean, top, top, top player. Yeah, he was, he was, and uh, I mean, he he's, he wasn't frightened of anything, wasn't scared of anything, and he you'd put in front of the opposition, he he just got on with it and did it, and he he, he was he was a real real good. Uh, Again, as I say, he, he complimented the way the dressing room was at Luton. He enjoyed he enjoyed what went on at Luton. He enjoyed being part of it as well. He was a big part of the, the camaraderie and the spirit here that we had going, which which in my opinion was en- endeared by Fozzie. Uh, so no, he was a, ma- a massive part, and arguably, I mean, he's the best player I played with. And I and I, I, I go back to some of the strikers I played with. I played 
I played with Dean Saunders at, uh, at the Derby County and one or two others. Uh, I played with Peter Beasley playing for England and that, you know, but I don't really... I played with Steeny for a long time, for a few years, and I know all his strengths and I know what he's like and I know what, what he's been through to, 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 to get where he had to get to. So, yeah, 100% Brian Steen would, would always make my top 11, my best 11, sorry. Excellent. <laughs> what, what was it about Steeny then? If you could wrap it up, what would you say Steeny did to make your game better? Well, he, 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 I mean, he, he, the ball, certain balls that come into you and the trajectory of them was, was different, you know, I think... If it's coming in low and it's coming into your chest, he'd come around the front of you. If it's coming in, if it's coming in where you, there's only one place you can put it, and that is touch it in behind. He'd be, he'd be after you run behind. He'd link up with me if he, if I saw him. If I saw him in possession, I'd try and make a little wall for him so he could play off me, and then and, and maybe get it wide or get a shot away. We had some little things where we little words of you know them, Jack, Fred, and all that, Marvin, where we. Yeah. Balls run through our legs and overs and stuff and all that, you know. And we did practice some of the odd times. It did work uh, in, in in games on a Saturday, and it was it was part of our part of our makeup in terms of trying to be clever in the final third and trying to be different. I thought we tried to be different, Marv, to you to other teams. Yeah, hundred percent, mate. I mean, I I only yesterday. I mean, at a, at a tournament um, coaching the girls, we I was, I was speaking about. Um, the Fred and the Jacks and stuff, yeah. <laughs> and they were going. Well, what do you what what if what if you what if you get someone called Fred in your team? I went, <laughs> haven't there one Fred in our team? Yeah. And they said, well, what if what if you sign someone and their name was Fred? <laughs> and I said, it was that much in our like history. We would never sign a Fred because the, yeah. the the actual move was more important than having a Fred in our team. We changed the name, wouldn't we? We call it a marvelous name. Oh, Sid. Oh, well, remember Sid, Mick? Remember Sid? We call it a Marvin because you never played. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Sid, yeah, Sid. I forget what a Sid was. I forget what a Sid was. I remember Sid, though. I can't remember what a Sid was. It was a back heel, wasn't it? It was a back heel. It might have been. But you know when you're running with a ball and you, 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 you back heel it? So that was, I, I've, yeah. I've tried to teach him Jack and Fred, but like I've had yeah. to obviously give him female names. So it's like... Lizzie or something, I've been calling it or something, but it's, it takes time, as you know. It takes time. Yeah, it does. No, but we had, we had a good understanding, myself and Brian, and uh, it, it worked. We scored a lot of goals between us. He helped me score goals, and I helped him score goals. But he was a real technical player, very good. He go back to goal, very good. Drop his shoulder, go one way. Left Fantastic. Right foot. Fantastic. So that's your starting 11 team, Mick Harford. We will now move on to... The last couple of questions we ask, which is the first one is, who is the best manager you have ever played under? Who's going to manage this team? Who's going to manage this team you've just picked, Mick? That's a, that's a good question. I've had, I mean, I've had numerous managers. Uh, obviously started at uh, Lincoln with Grant Taylor, who left, and George Kerr, and I moved on to Newcastle with Arthur Cox. And, uh, Bristol City with uh, Bobby Houghton was manager, and Roy Hodgson took over. And I went to Birmingham and Ron Saunders was the manager. I came to Luton with Platy, then uh, Luton. Derby with Arthur Cox again. Uh, come back to Luton and uh, Platy was still the manager. We obviously had Ray Harford, the manager. Uh, Chelsea, Ian Porterfield was the manager. Sunderland was Terry Butcher. Uh, Wimbledon was uh, the fridge, Joe fridge. Kinnear. My hero, yeah. Coventry City, I was at Coventry for a short period of time and Phil Neal was the manager. 
But if I had to pick one, if I had to pick one, uh, a tough guy, real tough guy. It's a real close call between, for me, it's a real close call between Joe Kinney and Ron Saunders. Uh, but I'd go for Ron Saunders. Because Ron taught me a lot. He taught me how to look after myself on the pitch. Taught me a lot of things, which he was a, he was a proper old-fashioned striker and how to use your body and get in the way of things and, and, and make sure they didn't get the ball before you and stuff like that, you know. And he's a... For all his, for all what he was, he was a hard nut, but he was a real, real general, generous guy and all that, you know. And God bless him. Now he died. He died early in the year or the year before, which was a shame. Uh, but yeah, it would be definitely Ron Saunders. But close call would be Joe Kinnear, then maybe David. Okay, great. Oh. <clears throat> Awesome. Um, just, just one um, final question on on the managers. Then you talk about Joe Kinnear. Obviously, you you work with him quite a bit as an assistant. Um, and one one event which uh, crops up a little bit on this podcast actually is the the events that happened in two thousand and three. I think it was two thousand three, two thousand four, um, around when the Gurney came out, took over. And obviously, you were assistant. Um, what was it like going through that bonkers, crazy period of time? Uh, I mean, Joe, Joe. Uh... Joe became a really, really good. Uh, I mean, he, he said, "I got the utmost respect for Joe Kinnear, one hundred percent." He, when I was retiring at uh, Wimbledon, I retired with Achilles. I was, I was touching thirty-nine, and Joe gave me the under-23s job. So basically, I, I got to thank him for for setting me and then staying on and, and in football. He gave me the opportunity to to, to coach the under-23s, uh, and I mean that that was what twenty twenty two twenty three years ago. So I've been fortunate enough to stay in the game, and it's in my opinion, thankfully, Joe gave me that opportunity. Uh, Joe, Joe was a Marvin. I'll tell you this: Joe was a Joe wasn't a training ground manager. Joe was a manager on a Saturday, and there's different kind of managers, and he come alive on a Saturday. He's tactically very clever, very very astute. Uh, but you'd hardly see him in the week. The players hardly see him, but. They knew he was around on a Saturday afternoon and he had an impact. And tactically, he was spot on. And I, I just marvelled and back it up for me or whatever. I just thought on a Saturday, Joe Kinney in the dressing room was very good, especially when he was at Wimbledon with, with a good group of players. And when he was at Luton, so you might, that's how Marvin experienced him. Uh, the Gurney thing was a real strange experience because myself and Joe got sacked by a letter. I got a letter come through my post and I looked at it and I watched this and they said, oh, we're terminating your contract, which I thought was a bit disrespectful uh, to myself and especially to the manager because I rang Joe up straight away and he hadn't had a letter and he went down, he had to go down to the post office, it was a registered post to pick up his letter and he picked it up and he went, yeah, mate, I've been sacked as well. So it was a bit disrespectful by, by the football club to do it that way uh, and it did piss me off, to be honest with you. Uh, and, and I... And I did tell them so because I went into the office and so, and because they stopped paying me, and I wasn't happy. Mm. So no, it was it was a strange time. It was a strange time for the football. Uh, thankfully, those times are behind us. And as I said, it's been a Luton fan. It's a it's a rocky road and it's a roller coaster ride, and the ups and downs of it is amazing. And we're in a good place at the moment. In a good place, thanks to the sports science who sat there. Sat there listening to this podcast, yeah. <laughs> and, and just go, just, just going back to the fridge, Mick. I mean, like you said, I mean, I obviously experienced him at, at Luton, and again, similar to yourself, I have him to thank um, for getting me involved in coaching because obviously coming towards the end of my playing days at the club, again, you know Joe better than I do, but I mean, looking at the bigger picture, gave me the opportunity to say, look. Marv, you're not going to be playing like as a regular now. 
I mean, I would love you to come on board and work alongside John Moore for a year or so. Still register you as a player in case of emergencies. Again, Joe thinking about me as a, a player, not trying to cut it off straight away from the legs and say, that's it, you're not playing. Now go on the coaching side. He still gave me the opportunity to say, look, we're registered you as a player and should we um, have any emergencies, you can be involved in that way. And so, I mean, I have Joe to thank for the fridge, as we call him, a lot for getting me involved in the coaching side and helping bring some players through like myself, um, Curtis Davis, Kevin Foley and all them players. Yeah. I mean, it's fantastic, yeah. So I've got a lot of respect for the fridge as well. Where, where did this nickname come from, by the way? The fridge. What, Mick, where did Mick, the nickname no, come? I don't know. Mick, Mick named in the fridge, I think. Was it you, Mick? No, you know the old uh, American footballer. What was his yeah. name? The fridge. And he had the that. fridge, yeah. Go with a bit of a derby on him and that, you know. And he, we, we just nicknamed him the fridge because that, that American football looked a bit lumpy and a bit heavy. And he reminded, reminded us of him. But it, the name was given to him by Vinny, 100%. Just push all the blame onto Jonah, yeah? <laughs> Uh, well, he, he loved it. He loved he loved the crack and he loved the banter, Joe. And he, again, he one of the reasons why he, for me, top manager, he was he he he, he had a good camaraderie with the players and the togetherness and that, you know. And and he and he, he tell the truth. He wouldn't bullshit, you know. There was no messing about. If he didn't, if he did something wrong, he'd tell you, and that's the way it should be. And there was no no farting around, no 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 cutting corners and that, you know. If you weren't doing your job, you got told. And there was a few of them who weren't doing the job again. <laughs> so, like, so uh, unusual for you, Mick. But again, because you how how successful you've been at the club. Normally, we turn around and say to <clears throat> the ex Luton players, "What is your most memorable game and why?" But you got. I mean, we're gonna. I'm gonna ask you two. One as a player, and then one as <laughs> um, a manager. Where um, your most memorable Luton games and why? As a player, first. As a player, it was the, the League Cup final. 100% and won the, I mean, it's, it's the only trophy, major trophy Luton's won and it's an honour to be part of it and part of such a good team and that, you know, and uh, it was it was a marvellous day. I mean, it was an unbelievable experience for all of us. We'd never experienced a major cup final and, and for us to win it, especially against Arsenal and, and the way we did it with, with, with the late goals and that, you know, it was typical Luton, like the roller coaster. We were, we were winning, we were getting beat, we were 2-1 down then. And, and penalty, and, yeah, yeah. The penalty saves Dibs, makes an unbelievable save. Dibs gets man of the match. Then, and Danny and, and Brian pop up with the late goals. It's just typical, typifies Luton, absolutely mm. typified. Yeah, and uh, yeah, absolutely unbelievable. Okay, now as manager, or um, I mean, probably large, was it I would, uh, manager Luton? I would have to say, Marvin, that it's probably when Luton won the Johnson. The reason I why that. I say that is. Obviously, the achievement of a couple of years ago when we got promoted, yeah, we won the title. That was brilliant, brilliant for everyone at the football club. What we'd achieved, where we come from. But that day, we, we the club was in in a mess. We were we've been deducted thirty points. We <clears throat> we were we were relegated. Uh, we were relegated, and we had, we had no chance. I thought we had a chance with minus thirty, but you, know, you won a game or you lost a game, and the others had won, and you just kept falling behind and. We just we nearly got there at a certain point in the season. I thought oh, we got a chance here, but for the players to dig in and 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 win that trophy against all the odds and, and the biggest thing for me, Marv, you know what I'm going to say, it was forty thousand people at Wembley. Yeah, forty thousand Luton fans at Wembley 
on a, on a team that's bottom of the, the League Two, getting relegated into conference with a 30-point deduction. It just shows what this club's all about, you know, the, the way they got behind the club and the way... And, and listen, that win, that win was for them, you know, and, and it, uh, I believe if those 40,000 people hadn't have been there, there'd have been a chance we wouldn't have won that game. No, no. I spoke about it many a time about the, the, the supporters. I mean, again, like, not trying to harp on about the, the Gurney situation, but that, again, I mean, they led the way in not buying season tickets and not, like, putting money into the club for this guy to sort of, like, siphon out and take with him. So, again, like you said, it's, it's a roller coaster um, situation with the club, which hopefully those days are gone now. But one thing yeah. I think you know and I know that the supporters, these losing balls are so passionate. I mean, again, I know most players would say that of their own team, but there's just something about this club in my experience that just makes them a little bit more special. Well, absolutely, Marvin. I mean, just to, just to, to echo your point, it's a case of, look look who's running the football club now. 2020, the... the, the, the uh, they're the ones who run the club, and each and every yeah. one of them are Luton Town. They are Luton Town fans through and through, and and that's the reason why we're in this position. You know, it hadn't been for them, this club could have gone under. You know, so we've got to be yeah. thankful for them. It's it's a, as I, I love working for the club. You know, what I think the club. I know what you think of the club, uh, and 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 basically everyone who, who comes comes in contact with it as a as a as a nice story to say about it and all that. I know ex players. Ex, ex staff, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no animosity towards the football. It's a brilliant feeling at the moment, and uh, long may continue. And we we'll keep working hard to try keep to try to, to continue being successful. Hopefully, no, brilliant, fantastic, Mick. Thank you. Thank you very Andrew. much for your time. Thank, yeah, thank you very oh, much. No. Um, and I'll give you the last word to say to the fans of all the clubs you play for, not just Luton. Uh, well, I, personally, I'd like to say thanks for all your support you've given me down the years, each and every club. Uh, there's been plenty of them, let me tell you, yeah, some of them longer than others and that, you know, but each and every club I've been to, I've always tried to give them my best and I, I really, really enjoyed my time there. So thanks to all the fans who's given me support and uh, I just wish every club I've played for all the best this season and everyone's support. So thank you. Come on, you have. Brilliant, Mick. <laughs> Thank you. Well Thank you so much for your time. And that brings to the end another episode of My Best 11 podcast with Mick Harford. Thank you very much and enjoy your listening. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, you can subscribe at My Best 11 Pod and leave us a five star rating. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at My Best 11 Pod. Email My Best 11 Pod at gmail.com.